Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC, and this episode is a Pillar and Ground Connections episode where we seek to increase our connection to one another with whom we stand together in community and mission, and we have been standing together for a little bit with Tradesman Group on a pretty remarkable project on our building, and we are so thankful. And I'm thrilled that today we are joined by Rick Freitag. He is the CEO of the Tradesman Group out of Plain City, Ohio. Welcome, Rick, to Pillar and Ground. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I'm thrilled to be here, uh, to be a part of this project. Uh, it's tremendous having an opportunity to have an impact uh, in the preservation of uh, such a significant structure. Well, we are... I can't tell you how thrilled we are that uh, we were led to you. We had a lot of people pray, and I'll tell you from the outset, Rick, uh, a lot of people are regularly in our church, and I know this means a lot to you as a as a CEO of this sort of company and this work. We regularly pray for your safety and the workers that are navigating scaffolding and, and very difficult uh work angles and things so we're thankful god has provided that so far thank you for the project um but tell us a little bit about the tradesman group as a company because it's now 100 percent employee owned and that makes it unique but tell us some more correct so uh the company was started in 1997 by my wife Uh, she started it the same year that she adopted her twin boys if you can imagine that endeavor (laughs) and uh, i joined the company around 2010 she and i have operated it ever since and helped grow it to where it is today by 2022, we reached the place uh, where the company was uh, uh, substantial enough that it could convert to 100% employee-owned. So the company was sold to the employees through a trust, That's awesome. and now it's 100% employee-owned. And Melissa um, wanted a mechanism for succession that allowed the company to go on, but then also to give back to all the employees. So mm-hmm. as the company prospers over the next decade and beyond, um, all the employees will share in that, uh, in that success. That's for their, for their own retirements. That's fantastic. Well, I think as I've heard Stuart Bickley, our project manager, who you've gotten to know through this, he when I bring up the tradesman group, he almost always says they're true professionals, true craftsmen, true professionals. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, I have not interacted as close as Stuart has, but I've been on the biweekly calls and in some of those meetings and um just on behalf of the congregation, thank you for your professionalism and excellence. Absolutely. It's it's centered in a belief that historic buildings are a part of our heritage, mm-hmm. and we are a link from our past to today's present to our future. And mm. without our efforts in the stewardship of these buildings to care for them in the manner that we do, uh, these buildings wouldn't be here for, in some cases, decades or even centuries. And if we do our job well today, we'll preserve these buildings uh, for generations to come. And that's that's the entire uh, point and mission of our company. That's great. That sounds like that quote on your website from mm-hmm. Winston Churchill. Uh, we shape our buildings and thereafter our buildings shape us. Certainly. And uh, you've been a part of a lot of shaping of various structures and buildings around the country. Uh, talk about some of the projects y'all have engaged in. I know you've engaged in um, from your website, things like the tomb of Warren G. Harding and his wife, the U.S. Marine Corps War Memorial at Arlington. Yes, sir. I believe you, um, you, you won an award, I think, for the Jefferson National Expansion, mm-hmm. um, the Jefferson Memorial National Expansion mm-hmm. for the copper work there. Was yes, that the right? old Jefferson Courthouse, the copper roof we put yeah, on there in Yeah, in St. Louis, there yes. in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And Independence Hall has received some work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk yeah, any other projects that come to mind. I know those are some uh, we've of the done ones. some work for Department of Treasury. Um, mm. We've worked on uh, about four World Heritage sites, including Mammoth Cave, mm. um, the Mission of Spada down in Texas. Yeah, 
and San Antonio. Yeah. We're working at Fort Negley uh, right now in Nashville. Okay. So we do a lot of work in Nashville. And you've well. done a number of churches too. Quite huh? a few churches. Quite a few churches yep. as historic buildings for yes, sure. Absolutely. And those listening, you know, our, our church began in 1892, but we were on the other side of the Bragg Avenue at that time. We came across the street to 1928, I believe, is some of the part of the structure in its oldest age here. And, um, this project is complex. I was up on the scaffolding with you, which you like to be there far more than I do. Uh, I know that I'm not a fan of the heights, but uh, I asked you there kind of on a scale of one to 10, and you've seen a lot of projects kind of rate the complexity of this project at Lookout Press. Just talk about that and what you would, how you would put it in kind of that scale and why. So to put context to it, it's the third largest project that we've ever contracted. And the second, um, by duration so Mm. it's definitely one of the more significant overall projects um there's some elements to the project that make it more simple and the fact that you are an excellent owner to work with Mm. and make our job as easy as possible we've had owners that are much more difficult Mm. um but considering um you know the complexities of working around the structure with an active daycare and constant church activities and you know daily operations that adds layers to the planning and organization sequencing of work Mm -hmm. um but then, more importantly, addressing um, the deficiencies or the um, distress that the building was under, you know, decades of moisture infiltration, um, previous attempts to solve those problems, uh, that mitigation of that moisture infiltration wasn't solved at different intervals that it was uh, attempted to be. Uh, we had a big task at hand to come in and, and work with your uh, designer um, mm-hmm. to understand what was going on with the building and what we needed to do to correct the moisture infiltration. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that aspect made this project very complex Yeah, because in part there's, you know, different phases of construction. Buildings were constructed in different decades and under different periods of construction, there's mass masonry walls combined with um, more contemporary block and concrete with a stone veneer on the tower, for example. Yeah. So the mechanisms of addressing and understanding the moisture infiltrations and then correcting it um, are different in each area. So yeah, um, and that made it. You said to me that day an eight. You know, around mm-hmm. the eight Absolutely. category. It's a yeah. very. It's, it's high on the complexity end. Yes. Uh, you're not just uh, replacing our roof. You're dealing with the structure from top to bottom, around the sides, all around. One of the advantages that our company has, because we self-perform multiple trades, we view the envelope of a building as a system. Mm. Um, we're not just a masonry company that understands masonry well or a roofing company that understands roofing well. When moisture is getting into a building, it it's, uh, can be a combination of causes. Mm-hmm. So as we looked at, uh, tried to diagnose the problems and understand what we need to do to correct it, um, we were looking at all the possible points of entry, Yeah, whether it would be gutters that were... Um, potentially not serving their purpose or whether it was a masonry wall that was compromised or bad flashings and it's in another area. Mm. Uh, and the reality is there was a combination of a multiple, you know, multitude of things all occurring. And uh, the, the mitigation of that required, you know, a lot of complex sequencing to get the work done. The moisture infiltration was quite significant on the building and we were in a pretty dire spot to get this building back as i understand those who looked at it it was significant uh you talk about roofing uh we've got the slate roof Uh, you've done a number of roofs i know i I looked on your website at various churches but this roof is unique i think as we talked on the scaffolding the nature of the slate roof and how it's laid out talk about really the artisanship 
and the craftsmanship of this roof and this beauty. Absolutely. And its restoration. Well, slate is one of the most enduring roofs um, known to man. Um, a good slate roof will last 75 to 150 years uh, if it's put mm-hmm. on well with a good quality slate. Um, and, and certainly, um, this roof is what they refer to as a textorial roof. So instead of it having a common thickness and a common size on a standard bond pattern, it has random thicknesses, random um, widths and lengths um, installed in a way that gives the roof a textured look. Mm-hmm. So instead of the roof having a very uniform, smooth kind of look to the slate and the way it's laid, it's intended to have this kind of undulating, irregular, random pattern. Uh, gives its its character defining, and we've never done one. And we found out we we suspected it would take us a while. We found out it's the most labor intensive uh, slate roof to install <laughs> because you have to sort the slate, get the right ones to lay in the right spots to create those patterns, and there has to be a randomness to it. So you can't just go up there and lay it out in what your mind thinks is a pattern. It has to be random. So there's an art mm. to it, and that's where it gets particularly interesting yeah the sorting of the slate then the moving of the slate from where it's being held to the scaffolding up where mm-hmm. it can be distributed to those uh it, i don't know what you would call it fa- they're nailing it with copper nails right yeah those are your slaters yeah yeah so. they've got special hammers and they have to nail the slate in a particular way slate has to hang from a roof it can't be nailed tight there's a certain set of criteria for every slate and how it's nailed on wow um, I can't wait, you know, when the scaffolding comes down, I think people will really be able to see the beauty of the roof. Some of it's blocked in the views, but when we've been up there on the scaffolding, it's stunning. And what's really stunning is when you look at the contrast, if you're standing and you look at the fellowship hall, that's yet to be redone. It's got the old slate on it. Uh, the contrast is remarkable. Absolutely. And so you've done incredible work there. Thank you. Uh, we're a little, uh, we're waiting to finish that uh, slate roof on, I guess that would be the south side in the courtyard. Mm-hmm. That has to do with some of the way the tower scaffolding is held up with the, the uh, is it a beam through the roof? And right. So that's kind of all waiting. So eventually, the tower scaffolding kind of what's the when will that start to come down do you feel like what are the key things that have to be finalized so the tower had um the most significant um instances of moisture infiltration and we face the greatest challenges on the tower of making sure it's watertight so the windows are going in currently today actually they're in there installing the windows as the sealant gets put on on those windows and we have the next series of rains we can confirm that the tower is dry um, we plan to bring the scaffold down immediately, yeah. um, but we're going to wait for another couple rain episodes and make sure the work that we've done uh, achieved uh, achieved the intended objective. Yeah, well, you definitely had some ice and rain the last two weeks. Right. Weather's gotten in the way. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it also was helpful. It was able to make yeah. some judgments and yep. uh, observe what. Yep. You know, right? There were some things that. Yeah, we brought one of our one of our uh, roof specialists back and did some testing um, to the roof to make sure that you know, some of the moisture that we saw getting in while the windows were out wasn't from the roof. Yeah. And we confirmed the roof is, is what it needs to be. It's, it's watertight. That's great. And uh, so we believe that the windows that were out was the reason. And as those go in and they get caulked, I think we'll be fine. That's great. Uh, the tower presented a challenge that, in terms of the solution that was applied to it with the helical anchors. Correct. Just talk about, that's, that's remarkable work. And, and remarkable um, carefulness, the way 
you epoxied over where all those went matching the coloration of rock just talk about some of that so the tower um we discovered when we started doing repairs to it didn't have sufficient anchor to the backup uh concrete block and poured it cast in place concrete the poured concrete um so we consulted with an engineering firm on what we needed to do to install retrofit masonry mm-hmm. anchors um, to make sure that that uh, stone veneer remains uh, where it is in place, uh, that there's no issues of the ang- of the veneer slipping at any point. Um, so we drilled through uh, about one every two square feet uh, anchors with a helical anchor that goes back and embeds into the backup uh, concrete uh, wall structure, and then had to use uh, a special UV um, stable epoxy for stone repair to mm. repair over all the holes and those were all color uh color matched uh with the variation of color on the tower um some ways it makes it simple but on the other hand uh you know a red needs to match a red and an orange and orange and and when there's more of a tan or you know other colors on that are represented in the variation of the uh of the sandstone you have to be able to match each spot yeah and when you're up there on the scaffolding looking at it right at it you can't i couldn't locate where the anchors went in yeah and it's great work thank you and uh just uh there were some substantial conversations about the tower and concerns and for the solution that i think y'all implemented we're so thankful for that thank you speaking of the tower the spire had some repair done to it yeah the spire was originally believed to be in sufficient shape that wasn't even in scope and as we got scaffold up there and got closer to it we identified some um, deficiencies in the seams Um, a couple of the sections were actually coming loose Mm -hmm. so um, we devised us two two scopes one was to replace the entire bottom portion and then the other was to um, do the repairs and uh, ultimately uh, the church elected to to do the repairs which is a long-term repair of the manner in which we've done it so yeah. we expect it'll be wind resistant watertight for decades that's so good our tower has not had the word dry placed upon mm-hmm. it in a long time it's been a place of moisture infiltration um, and a lot of difficulty that a lot of people didn't see i mean our producer here is ben wingard he'd been on the facility staff and been in that tower a lot and offices there and closets that people didn't see the they didn't go in there and see the damage and uh, to have where we are with the tower we're so thankful for your work um early on in the process there was a lot of um digging out the mortar i know there's mm-hmm. probably more technical term than that but then you had to replace the mortar and, and talk about kind of how you you made that that mortar it was you know, a match and kind of some historical connections with that to the Tennessee river. Just right. So, um, formulating a mortar match is one of the most, um, sometimes difficult or challenging things to a project of this nature, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes the aggregate, um, which is the character defining component of of mortar, um, the aggregate sometimes isn't found, uh, similar to what was used in, the era of construction of a building mm-hmm. in this case we were able to find um a sand that was similar but we did have to search uh to find the right sand mm-hmm. uh, so we took samples broke the uh, mortar down by its two basic components the aggregate and the binder and then formulated about six or eight different samples to make sure that we had the right color um mm-hmm. and then applied those and and allowed your committee to look at uh, the samples we put on mm-hmm. and, and make a selection for what they believe was the best match. And all that was mixed 
here on site yeah mortars mixed right here correct yeah we don't buy pre-mixed mortars we buy um portland lime and the ag- the base aggregate sand and, and dry mix everything yeah um before it's mixed uh for its its uh application the quarry i guess the slate came out of a quarry is that where that mm-hmm. where, did, where did that, that come? comes out of vermont okay yeah all right it's quarried up in vermont yeah and quite a quite an endeavor for them to um dig those blocks out of the ground and split them by by the processes <laughs> that they use and the different wow. sizes and and uh, thicknesses and so forth yeah so much that we don't even know or see that's going on in this project and but all that stuff that's happening is ensuring uh, again, excellence and long-term uh, generational st- uh, standing for this building to come. We're so thankful for your attention to that detail. So um, when people look at the building, uh, there's there's the rock and there's the mortar. So rocks can have some coloration on them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just talk about you've washed the building, the building – if you want to see the wash compared, just go to the back of the building where the kitchen is and kind of when you're looking at the kitchen, look to the right. That hasn't been treated, washed, handled. Look to the left and you'll see right. what's happened. Uh, but will the rock, does rock color over time, I guess? It after, does. Okay, as, so. as stone is exposed to the atmosphere, um, the forces of uh, being exposed to the atmosphere can cause it to oxidize and the minerals mm-hmm. can change in color over time. and they'll they'll essentially they call it bleed over the surface of the stone okay so they'll tend stones that tend to have a lot of iron oxide in them will turn more orange more rust color yeah over time and that tends to uh, the influence of that tends to show on mortar as well so mortar will end, start off as more of a gray or a white color and can end up more buff over time mm-hmm. because of the influence of the minerals and the iron iron content in the aggregate of the as well as the iron content in the stone and as I understand it, we're going to be uh, talking through a maintenance plan of how to maintain the building. Yes. Uh, given the great work that's been done to keep up with it, whether it's, wa- I guess, washing or maintaining the building so that it, it continues to preserve the work that's been done. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll hand over a recommended um, maintenance schedule Yeah. of how to tend to the different components of the exterior facade yeah. to make sure that it performs um, as, as it's intended to. That's great. That's so good. Uh, a couple of other items, one that really is dear to the hearts of a lot of people because they've sat in the sanctuary. Uh, and particularly if you have, um, those have been married in the sanctuary, the rose window, there's pictures, you know, of bridal parties in the mm-hmm. sanctuary and then looking back and the rose windows back there. And I know as I preach every Sunday, the rose windows looking right at me and the beauty of it, but the rose window was in trouble. Yeah, there was a beam underneath the the window that was believed to be compromised. And as we uh, did our investigation, once we were on site, we identified that it, it was there was some compromised condition to it, uh, some distress. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. oxidation um, to the bottom flange in particular, but it wasn't to the degree that we thought it might be. So okay. we were actually able to value engineer the repairs to it and actually save the church some money. But also make sure that the beam was repaired in a fashion that mitigated the forces that were starting to act on that window. Yeah. So. And uh, underneath that window and all our windows, stained glass windows and such, there's lentils. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot of yeah. terms I never knew. But talk about, we've talked some about lentils, but just describe what a lentil is and how those repairs took place. Sure. So in more, more contemporary masonry construction, uh, it was common to use 
uh, steel lentils to support the weight of masonry that spans over openings, whether they're doors or windows or other types of openings. Those lentils, if they're put in and not protected against um, oxidation, over time they'll oxidize. So as steel oxidizes, it delaminates. And that force of oxidation is like freezing water. It's very powerful, and it can lift and expand. It can lift an entire building. Mm-hmm. And that was starting to happen on on the structure. There, mm-hmm. were, there were windows that were starting to to heave, as they call it, rust heave. And it damages the masonry to the point where it can be irreparable at times. Mm-hmm. We caught that just in time here, right before it was getting bad. There were certain locations where it was worse than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the thoroughness of the project, um, it was elected to replace all the lentils on the mm-hmm. on the admin wing and um, portions of the sanctuary that had them on the lower windows. So were those, those fabricated here, the lentils, or they were dipped here? Or, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we went back with a, uh, an A36 grade uh, steel lentil that was hot dip galvanized. Okay. So that hot dip galvanizing will protect it for decades and decades. Won't have the issue of oxidizing steel lentils in the future. Yeah. There was the area above where my office is, where that was, where that nice copper work is now done. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess that's on the north side. Yes. Um, That it was, there was some significant structural concerns there Mm -hmm. above. I don't know if you can kind of describe what you encountered there. Yeah. As we, as we rigged the, that gable end with scaffold and got up there, we discovered large cracks on either side of the gable that indicated separation of the gable essentially was splitting in two. Mm. And um, we had to, uh, we brought in, again, brought in an engineer. They helped us evaluate uh, the root cause and and what we needed to do to reinforce that. So there was a tie rod that was placed in the wall from corner to corner. Mm. You can see the plates on the outside of each gable end if you go look. Um, And then we laid the masonry back in. Uh, We were able to do that in conjunction with the lintel replacement. So that tie rod runs um, in the proximate uh, area of the new lintels at that same elevation. Wow. So at that same point, I guess that would be called the Northern Gable. I don't mm-hmm. know what we would call that. Sure. <laughs> I, I call it above my office <laughs> as it is right now. Yeah. There's some copper work that's pretty, pretty specialized, unique, incredible. But just in general, there's a lot of copper work that's happened on this project. Mm-hmm. All that copper is being bent here. Yes. On site. Being and fabricated and, on yeah. site with and, the, the field shop. Talk about that particular copper uh, work on that end. Um, so that gable had uh, a copper cap on it when we when we uh, contracted for the work. We knew it needed replaced, uh, but it kind of hid the sins of that gable. It wasn't built very very well. It had a a dip on both sides, um, so it wasn't straight. It wasn't true. Um, kind of a lot of ins and outs with the irregularity of the of the field stone. Mm. And so we knew we needed to put a proper cap on it. And um, we also knew that it needed to have good sight lines. So it took us quite a while to configure um, the, I guess, the mechanism or the manner that we put on mm-hmm. the, uh, the wood substructure and then, and then framed or built around that with the copper. Yeah. So uh, it ended up being a lot more involved than we thought, but uh, it's turned out to be more of a work of art than it was just a simple copper cap. Yeah, and there's angles. You can see the ridges and the angles to help with water runoff. Yeah. Uh, That was very... uh, So those are all double locks standing seam that were folded in place with hand tools. Wow. So Wow. And that will patina. Yes. That that will patina all the copper wheel that you put in. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, yeah, the copper work. Well, the copper downspouts, too. 
Mm-hmm. There's even some design. You were telling us the top of those downspouts, the design, it's all hand. Yeah, the leader done. heads. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, what well, goes into doing that? And you really got to look up when you get here uh, and see the copper uh, craftsmanship, the artisanship at mm-hmm. the top of those leader heads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those are cut out with uh, patterns and then put into a jig and very carefully soldered together. Each one takes about a day. Mm. Um, once the patterns are cut out to uh, assemble and properly solder one together. Wow. So that the seams are all um, correctly adjoined and uh, it looks uniform and consistent. Wow. Looks like it's made by a, by a machine, not a person. Yeah. But it's, made right it's, here. It's handmade. Yes, yeah. absolutely. A um, couple of other phrases people have used. Um, well, this phrase, everybody knows gutters. Uh, we kind of get that phrase, but we have caught the copper gutters around when we were up there. Um, you said that I could stand on one and it would hold me up and I refused. Obviously you didn't mean that, that, but I wasn't about to step out and stand on it, but I could, is what you said. It's that strong. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, the copper gutters that went in with the snow guards and the copper, uh, the gutter covers, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very thoughtful work, right. That's going to help with drainage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The strength of those gutters is one of the, one of the deficiencies of the building, uh, before we got here, the gutters, um, were held up by a type of bracket that didn't have a lot of strength to it. And so the gutters, um, some of them didn't have proper slope or they might have a, a low spot because of how they were, um, you know, being held up over time. So we knew we wanted to design a very robust copper uh, gutter system. Yeah, you did it. Yeah. So and still got more to do, but you did it. Certainly, yeah. certainly. Because lo- I looked at the gutters compared to looked over at the fellowship hall. Mm-hmm. And it's very – I'm a – layman at learning all this and but it's distinct right and what you perceive as strength from just looking at it right so um a couple other phrases people may have heard uh they've heard us talk about capstones they've heard us talk about buttress caps kind of the capstones as i understand it each of those weighs about 700 pounds the um, biggest ones do the biggest ones and they're the just talk about what a capstone is and what where the capstones played in this project certainly so the capstones are an essential part of a masonry wall construction they uh they lock in the top of the wall they tend to they tend to be larger stones that help uh, add structural integrity to the top of a wall and they also add a significant uh, element of water shedding so with a good capstone design um, you have a wall that will shed water correctly uh, to the benefit of the building and um, so one of the things that's also very common though uh, is that capstones usually have through wall flashings beneath them so that if water does get between the joints of the capstones that they don't the water doesn't penetrate through the the wall assembly itself Um, so as a part of this project we removed all the capstones that didn't have through wall flashings and um, installed proper copper through wall flashings and reinstalled the capstones with new stainless steel anchors and pins and so forth yeah Uh, rather involved process for the weight of the stones with you know trolleys and hoists and um getting them in the right position to get them set correctly because some of those capstones is if i understood correctly were you know what was holding them was rusted underneath Mm -hmm. like they weren't so it was common back when the building was constructed to use just standard grade steel okay um, in anchors or um, pins or so forth so it's a common um thing we find today in our work that we have to go in and fix um masonry walls and building assemblies that are subject to the um degradation of those ferrous anchors Mm. so 
when I got a close-up look at the butcher's caps, um, particularly we were on the north side looking at the stained glass windows that have been gone have gone in look and look great. But their butcher's caps are over there, and there mm-hmm. may be more they're all over, but they're beautiful. I mean, they were talking about you told us a little bit about what went into the fabrication of those caps. Yeah, so the the original uh, the original butcher's caps um, were a fieldstone type cap that had multiple joints on the mm. top side of the cap mm. as they configured and laid the stone um, to form the, the cap of those buttresses. Um, and we identified that as one of the sources of water infiltration. Okay. So we had a couple choices um, in trying to treat that condition and ultimately um, worked with um, members of the church um, on the committee to mm. identify mm. that we wanted new caps. Uh, and we recommended a whole piece, uh, one large piece of sandstone. So we uh, had those quarried um, here in Tennessee, took them to our fabricator in Michigan, and he custom fabricated each one of those stones mm. uh, for each each individual buttress. And each buttress has a unique size. So every one of those caps is slightly different from the others. How, many, know, how many buttress caps are there? I think there was thinking there was like 16 or 17 because there's some in the courtyard mm-hmm. as well yeah, I, yeah. I, I forget the exact number but yeah, yeah it's um it's something that i would not necessarily notice if it had been called to my attention mm-hmm. what a butcher's cap was and then to note now it's one other people have noticed far more about this building than i have mm-hmm. i'm sure but to know that it's just this one piece that's been and it's beautiful the yeah. the the coloration or whatever on it yeah it looks quite beautiful yeah so um so all this work the the copper the gutters the rose window the helical anchors the spire you have um everything you have led a team that's um just done excellent work and as people in our church have such affection for our church um you've you've cared it's like you've cared for one of our family members uh, like mama, uh, you've taken care of her and not only taken care of her, you've restored her and you have given her long life for our kids and grandkids and this community to come. And our thanks is just very deep to you and the tradesman group that you took. You are taking this project incredibly seriously as a calling and as a call to excellence. So thank you. Thank you for having us on the project and electing to have us serve. Well, y'all have been as y'all have been phenomenal to work with. And just briefly, as we look ahead, that scaffolding is about to it's make where it may come down is going up in new places, right? Correct. We're going to start moving to what I think we call zones D and E, I mm-hmm. believe, Fellowship Hall, Kitchen, yes, Portico, that yes. area. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll. Bring a scaffolding team. Does a scaffolding team come in to begin to move and then put that up? Is that a whole different team? Some of the crew that's here are experienced scaffold builders, okay. so they're leading the assembly, the dismantle that's mm-hmm. active today, actually. Um, but if we get into a larger scale um, erection process, we'll bring in more. Yeah, we have scaffold crews in other cities right now. The scaffolding total that's around us. I mean, I don't know how you gauge a scaffold. It's a, it's enormous to me, but yeah. how do you gauge the scaffolding? Uh, amount that's here um i think we brought in around six semi loads okay um up the mountain which was a challenge we weren't we weren't ready for that what it means to get a semi we had twice we had to crawl wreckers 
um, because our semis got themselves a little bit off the road and had to stop. Okay. So we were probably a feature uh, by the police that night. <laughs> <laughs> Grateful that we tried to come up the mountain. Well, wow. Well, yeah, all that material's got to get here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, like I said, excellent. We're going to keep praying for the project. The project still has uh, a good leg to go in it. We got. Uh, um, you know, our, our aim, I guess, for completion has remained pretty steady. We're pushing um, hard for the first week of November. Yeah, and that's the exterior work and mm-hmm. some of the interior uh, repairs where there's moisture damage that we've walked through. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's not the final date for the total project as we got some interior renovations happening and a new structure over by our youth building being built. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if Easter 2025 for a full final completion is going to be it, but I look forward when that is done at some point uh, to having having y'all back for a celebration with our people of the project being completed. That would be um, wonderful. And we're going to pray for safety and continued wisdom as you encounter things that you need help on to figure out and engineers. and uh, But just thanks for the spirit of the tradesman group. Thanks for all your help for our, for our place. Thank you. I just would like to say before we conclude, um, you've said a lot of great things about the tradesman group, and I want to emphasize that it's built of a tremendous crew of people mm-hmm. um, that care on every mm-hmm. level about the success of the project and mm. the contributions they can make to the preservation of this important building. So um, without them and their hard work every day, um, this would not be possible, and we need to ultimately pay tribute to their Amen. to their hard work and sacrifices because they're the ones that make it possible. They have been there when it was blazing hot, windy, very yep. cold, yep. Uh, faithfully getting after it and working and um, doing good work. Yep. So thank you so much. Thank you. And to all you listening, I uh, do encourage you, uh, while you're listening now, go ahead and click the subscribe button. That'll help you uh, know when new episodes come up. You won't even have to depend on us telling you. It'll just pop up on your phone. And you can do that on any platform of podcasts. And we look forward to future episodes together with you on Pillar and Ground. Thanks for joining us.